Goodman here and welcome once again to the Freelance Heroes podcast. Delighted you could join me for episode 55 from one of the 70 countries that now regularly tunes in. Now this is a Freelance Heroes Day special. On the 17th and 18th of May we celebrated our fifth birthday by holding an event with a number of phenomenal speakers and panel discussions and networking. And one of the panel discussions you're about to hear now. And it was around the theme of the entire event, the future of work. Now, the event helped to improve confidence and skills to enable freelancers to face head on this new world, ideally, hopefully soon, post lockdown, post pandemic world that we're entering. But this panel discussion looks at it from the perspective of an employer of a startup, of a growing business. And on the panel discussion, I was joined by three uh, entrepreneurs who have building their own businesses uh, and supported other businesses too. And we talked about how important the freelance economy is, and not even just important, how key the freelance economy is to help businesses grow. So you're going to listen from Sam O'Connor, the co-founder and CEO of Coconut, who sponsored Freelance Heroes Day, Merle Calvert, the CEO and founder of Frilio, and Alex Hughes, the CEO and founder of Shifties and Shift Momentum, who supports many businesses which freelancers help with too. It's a fascinating discussion. It might be a long one, but really worth getting a notebook to hand and listening through it. So enjoy meeting Sam, Merle and Alex. Let's meet our three guests, and I'll ask them to uh, introduce themselves. Um, so, uh, Sam is the first person I spoke to on the Freelance Heroes podcast 53 weeks ago. Um, has always been a supporter of the Freelance Heroes community and always understood the value of a community as well. Um, he's the co-founder of Coconuts, who are supporting our event this year as well. So thank you very much for that. But other than the introduction I've give, given there, um, tell us a bit more about you, Sam, and, and your background. Sure. And thank you for having me. And it was an honour to be the first guest on your podcast. I've always loved the Freelance Heroes community. I'm a, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a bit of a lurker on the Facebook group. I don't know if I'm even officially allowed to be in there, but <laughs> I just... I like I really love the, the sort of level of support that's given by people and actually slightly cast myself as self-employed as well. So I learn a lot, too. But um, I started Coconut, which is a bookkeeping and tax tool for sole traders uh, three years ago now. Um, some of you may know that we started out with an e-money account and now we've moved to purely bank feed. So open banking, a bit like zero and free agents. So you basically just connect up your your existing bank account and you use us for your invoicing expenses and tax. And it's particularly uh, interesting time for us because we, we've we actually just decided that we're gonna focus on sole traders uh, completely because of making tax digital coming up and making uh, the pain, the annual pain of self-assessments move to a quarterly um, kind of uh, self-assessment for people. And that happens in 24 months. And so we're really focused on supporting freelancers, um, gig workers, self-employed people in managing accounting and tax and doing the best 
that we can in that regard. And so very interested in the future of work, what that, how that relates to everyone, what opportunities there are. And I've got some numbers and stats that I can share about the market too. Brilliant. Look forward to hearing those. Thank you very much, Sam. Uh, Merley is someone who I spoke to. I still remember it very clearly. The first time I met Merley I, I was through either Twitter or LinkedIn. I can't remember exactly which one it was, but I remember having a very lengthy conversation with her while walking, pacing, actually, through the Grafton Shopping Centre in Cambridge at that time and talking about what Freelance Heroes is uh, and what it means and what the plans were for it, etc. And Merley has been a vocal supporter um, of freelancers as a community as a whole. I remember when we chatted on the podcast, I chatted with Alex on the podcast too, um, but we'll get to Alex in a moment, um, that, the, the, that Merley mentioned that, that really key phrase that knowledge is power, but only when you share it, uh, which kind of underpins what this event is about and what the community is about as well. But Merley, just as Sam so beautifully did, do tell us a bit more about yourself. Okay, no pressure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Sam. Um, yeah, so I'm the founder of Virilio, um, passionately uh, obsessed, I would say is probably the right word, with trying to make business easier, faster, quicker um, for businesses of every shape and size. Um, we are huge, um, unapologetically fierce supporters of the freelance community in all its many forms, uh, also the startup community. Um, so many people with a slightly different business model still facing exactly the same business challenges uh, as individuals as well as small teams. Um, and we also serve the more established small business community too. Again, some parallel issues that we all face in just wanting things to be clearer, um, more accessible, more affordable. Um, and that's essentially what Virilio does. So we're an online platform of business solutions. Um, we'll support you on setting up business, running business, being more tax efficient, uh, figuring out what insurance you need. Uh, if you have legal paperwork, legal questions, we can look after those too. And we also have gone uh, far deeper down the road of sales, marketing, PR, career coaching, all kinds of other things, uh, nutrition, well-being, uh, even divorce this spring. Um, <laughs> So you name it, whatever the community tell us they want that they're not finding easy uh, or accessible or affordable and Frilio kind of sets out on a mission to find the people, the tools, the solutions um, that will actually answer that and we embed it all into the platform. So we integrate, we're highly collaborative, um, but we're also very much peer-to-peer -peer created. And I think that phrase you used a moment ago, Ed, knowledge is power, but only when it is shared. Well, that is what we do. We have this kind of wide-eyed hunger of scooping it all up and saying to the experts well what do you know and then we go to the community and we say well, what do you know and how are you experiencing it and what do you actually want and we kind of sit in the middle so we're not trying to replace or substitute anybody but it's we see it very much as our responsibility for joining up the dots um, and making sure that you just don't drop the ball whatever type of, of business you're running but on the freelance front, as Ed knows, we started with freelancers. We would not be here without the uh, incredible community of freelancers who came on board when I first had this idea and wanted to do it. Employing people wasn't an issue. We didn't have the budget to do that. Um, but also, rather remarkably, it was the freelance community that got the vision and saw what was possible and validated whether there was a need for it long before 
anybody else, including the corporates that we distribute through today, um, actually do. So I am personally super grateful to the freelance community, but I think it's also why I champion so much um, what you talk about all the time, Ed, because as I say, I wouldn't have achieved my business uh, or the businesses that I ran before for Ilio had it not been for some incredible, um, very open-minded, very visionary freelancers. Uh, and we're going to talk more about kind of go into that a little bit deeper as to why freelancers have helped in a moment. But before we do that, I'd like to introduce Alex Hughes. Now, Alex and I uh, go back to when I ran, um, I still run them, but they're virtually at the moment, mastermind groups here in um, Cambridgeshire. And we have the boom sessions on for freelance heroes, portal members at the moment on the last Friday of every month. Um, and uh, Alex and I also share the train to go watch football matches. And usually what happens on the way back from football matches is that people dissect the game. But Alex and I don't. Um, there's been many a time the conversation has come back and a business decision has been made um, fueled by football excitement or too often disappointment and a few beers too. And it's amazing how those conversations can spark the next idea as well. But um, Alex, uh, same to you as well. And, and with the incredible work we've done with Shifty, to introduce yourself, please. Yeah, cool. So yeah, so I'm I'm the founder of um, Ship Momentum, um, which is an, entrepreneur, an entrepreneurial business consultancy. So um, it serves both the businesses that we founded ourselves. Um, we may have invested in them, or they're projects that we're kind of invited to work on. Um, so I've got experience and interests across a multitude of um, different um, sectors, from construction to uh, e-learning, we've got a couple of incubators that we're setting up over here in St. Neots near, near Cambridge, um, commercial property, I don't know, I'm an entrepreneur, we do stuff and stuff happens, um, And um, but my main focus and passion is is Shifties, which is our uh, community of micro business owners. Uh, we founded it in 2018, um, just over a thousand members now, um, and we, we kind of see ourselves as a, a kind of an attitude towards business. Um, that's about connecting, learning and growing together. So um, I think, you know, when I first got into business, there really wasn't, you know, freelance heroes had only just been born, actually, because I was six years I've been in business. And as Ed mentioned, we met through uh, Boom, which is his uh, phenomenal mastermind over in St. Ives. And um, I, I couldn't find a place for, um, for me, if you like. So we created one. And um, now we have uh, a community there that we have a good loop set up. So for instance, um, we double, double up as mentors to young people who are going to be coming through our Ignite programs. So we take young disadvantaged people and show them that they can build their own business. And the answer to their support mechanism is, is community. And, and that's the, at the heart of everything. So every, pretty much every business that we've built, small or large, um, freelancers have been at the heart of the support structure of that. Um, so I'll give you an example, April last year, we launched a business called Snuggeries, which is kind of bespoke garden rooms and glamping pods. Um, and I think we had 12 different freelancers involved in the process of building that business from your copywriter to your voiceover artist, um, to your animator or a marketing strategist, copywriters, you know, you've got, you get the, the blend of all of these amazing ingredients that the freelance community uh, can bring to a startup. 
and then wrap that around your existing operation and you kind of give it superpowers that it didn't have before. So freelance community are absolutely essential, I think, to the future of, of work, especially in the startup world. Um, and now I think there's, we're actually building models that will see freelancers that are supporting startups have a share of that business and not just uh, getting paid for the work they do, but actually bringing them into the, 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 the business itself and supporting it long term. So, yeah, we're really excited about the future of work and how micro businesses and freelancers um, are almost, they're, they're almost blending across in the meaning. Um, but, um, yeah, I think they're absolutely essential to the future of our work. Now, before we get into the future, and uh, uh, certainly Alex and Melly have touched on this already, but Sam, I'm going to come to you first. I just want to look back a bit. And I'll ask how, and, and give us as much detail as you can, I think would be great. But And just to remind us everyone else, by the way, as we go through these answers, feel free to throw your questions into the chat box uh, again. But so how important has freelance com the freelance community been in getting Coconut to where it is now at any point during that journey? Yeah, okay. So um, aside from being our customers and also our investors, because we've done a crowdfund <laughs> and both of those things are absolutely critical to the success of a business. When it comes to actually building the business, I think that's where it gets really interesting. And so we've, we've, uh, and I think this is true for any business. So one of the really kind of tough things that happened over COVID was we immediately saw the level of work that our freelance customer base. So there's sort of two dimensions, which I'm talking about this, right? I'm looking, I'm talking about this from the macro sense of the like self-employed market and then us as a business. Mm -hmm. And so when looking at the market, um, we actually saw that the, the level of work because of the lockdown and actually the fourth, the third lockdown hit the self-employed community really hard, right? The level of work around just really dropped off and it was because of the contraction of budgets in businesses as they were looking to the future and saying wow what's going to happen to us how long do we need in the bank in terms of runway who should we you know drop from uh from our cost base and unfortunately kind of freelancers were impacted by that but actually the the, the other context of that is that freelancers are typically the first group of customers that companies lean on when things ease up and when they're looking to expand and we've been no different so we've been quite a fast growing company and so our whole journey has been about about growth and we've plugged the gaps in skills um, from our perspective where we haven't needed necessarily a full-time person with freelancers and so that would be around typical kind of project-based uh, work like um, you know website design so we've literally just launched our website on on webflow and we've used a, a freelancer there who's specialist in webflow and he's done a full-time project with us but absolutely we're going to be working with him on a sort of retainer ongoing basis and he's got a real specialism in that specific platform then on the engineering side we've worked with uh with a lot of freelancers and it's a, it's a really good place to work with freelancers in engineering because you can ramp up your team much more quickly the types of people that you bring in the door who are freelance have a like a way of getting to grips with what you're doing so quickly because they're used to doing it 
business to business. And we've really leveraged that. And then actually what happens is sometimes you build an ongoing uh, ongoing relationship with that person. They stick around for a year or uh, or maybe even transition full time sometimes. Um, but that's not actually that common. Um, and then the other areas that we um, that we use freelancers are in areas where we might have a. Uh, a, a project to run that we want some external perspective on some some real kind of skills like for instance if we're doing a positioning uh brand positioning piece then the typical freelancers in in marketing that we might use have experience uh uh both in companies and freelancing coming in and saying right this is how i perceive you and I can bring that knowledge and those skills to bear in helping you guys go on this journey. And so there's a few different ways that we work with freelancers, but absolutely critical uh, to our business. Um, and I'd say at all times, probably around 20% of our heads are, are freelancers. Do you see that, I mean, changing, growing, becoming less? Do you find it um in your plan? Do you think you'll become more or less reliant on freelancers or much the same? Or are you not at that element to know yet? Um, so I think there's some. Uh, th so I think they'll probably stay about stable in terms of the types of things that we're doing that freelancers kind of thrive in. I think that the the danger is that people use freelancers as a way of trying to find full time hires. And some freelancers are looking for full time in the longer term. But in our experience, actually, if you can learn the types of projects and the types of freelancers you can work with and, and bring in that knowledge, that really specialist knowledge uh, for a short burst or for, you know, a, 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 a role that potentially doesn't have a full time head requirement, then that core competency within the business is actually really beneficial because you can manage your, your budgets, you can work with the best people, right? You can work with the best people anywhere in the world as well, uh, particularly as we've gone fully remote with COVID. And so I would say it will probably stay about similar, but I will say that we are investing in becoming good at, at using the freelance community uh, more effectively to grow our business. Amazing. Thank you. Now, Merle, you've always been incredibly vocal, and you, even in your introduction today, uh, how important the freelance community has been to help build Ferilio to where you're at now. Tell us a bit more, if you can, about how. Um, well, very similar, actually, to what Sam says. And, and, and we've used a whole variety of different freelancers, right? But um Back in 2017, when we first started building Ferilio, I worked with um, freelancers on the code, on the site architecture, um, on writing some of the copy. So uh, we started very much, for those of you who, who've kind of followed the journey or who know us of old, we started very much as a legal tech as opposed to what we are today, which is all things biz tech. Um, and I didn't want any lawyers writing any copy on our platform, largely, again, because we're peer-to-peer -peer created, right? So, you know, lawyers are wonderful. We want you to have a great experience with lawyers when it comes to needing them and the right lawyers. We handpick very carefully. Some of them are freelancers. Um, 
although it's hard to get freelance lawyers because of the indemnity policies and the insurance and everything that comes behind it. Otherwise, we'd work with far more. Um, I would love to be able to do that. Um, but, you know, I just didn't want anybody who had been there, done that, had really been in the nicest, most respectful sense, contaminated by uh, legal solutions or business solutions. So we worked with people who came from magazine advertising, events background, tech. Uh, I did want not to, to mess about with the tech side of the business at all. So we worked with freelancers who designed uh, banks, uh, some of the fintech challenges. Uh, people who'd been there, done that, were really comfortable with data we're really comfortable with code. We're challenging code. So we write in a particular type of code that, you know, most of your employed development uh, crew do not write in, but it's highly flexible, can go to lots of different markets, can bolt on things really quickly and enables us to be very nimble when the community comes back and says, well, actually, we'd like it to do this or we'd like it to do that. Our guys can do that very quickly but they were trained so even the people that we have employed today they were trained by those freelancers and they came in because it was seen as a very prestigious thing to be working in this particular code to be learning under or having been recruited by um, these particular individuals so from an engineering and a platform development point of view it was actually a usp uh, for us when it came to um, getting talent more talent on board but i think fundamentally for me what is really important when you're starting a business or you're starting a new project uh, or you're changing we work with so many established businesses who are changing the way they do things today is to recognize that the people you start these projects with are not necessarily the people that you want to continue with so you want to go for the best expertise that you can afford that breadth of expertise people who have vision who aren't afraid to challenge um, and I think one of the wonderful things that freelancers have is that ability to challenge. They're not employees. They're not looking to please. They're actually looking to, well, of course, they are from, from, from a wider point of view, but looking to create something really great, partly because they want to be proud of that too and they want it on their CVs, their portfolios as well. So you've got this very rich environment where kind of anything goes and frankly, if you are innovating, if you're building something, if you're changing something, that is what you want to see on the CV of any freelancer. And that's the mindset that you want to come across when you're looking for who do I want to work with next. And we often say this to HR managers of the more established businesses that we work with now when they're saying we're hiring and they're chatting away about what they need. And, and you know, even in the ebook that we're publishing very shortly for the startup community, we are saying go back and look at freelancers. Um, because if you really want to do something successfully, if you really want to make a change, don't you want people with this mindset, this breadth of experience or this hunger to be the person who has this particular project or change uh, on their CV? And I think for us, that kind of focus on the outcome as opposed to the immediate task that had to be done is something that freelancers brought to us in space. They weren't just interested in coming in and doing a job that, that fitted inside a job description. Um, they took the briefs, they challenged the briefs, they came back and said, wouldn't it better, be better if, and do you know X, and why don't you bring in so-and-so, because they can do this aspect of the project. It meant we were faster, it meant that we were better. Definitely gave me a heck of a lot more confidence. I'm a sole founder, um, and although I have launched businesses before, this was my baby. It was the first time I did something this independently and I'd never built a tech platform just like uh, the ambition for, for Ferilio was back in 2017. I don't think we'd have been able to do it 
without these guys. Um, today, a bit like Sam, I, I don't think we're at twenty percent. I'd love to be more at twenty percent um, of of the people that we work with, but I would say we're probably hovering around the ten, sometimes to the fifteen percent of of working with freelancers. And again, it's every time we want to do something new or different or challenge ourselves, whether that's brand design, digital marketing, uh, more on the tech code, uh, more on the kind come in and try and break the code, you know, um, even some of the specialists that we work with these days on cyber and data, you know, what can you break? How can you make it better? What else could it do that we're missing? Because that's the other thing that, that freelancers, in my experience anyway, bring. You guys aren't stale. You're out there seeing how it's being done. You're out there challenging. Um, I think it's very hard when you're an employee to also maintain that kind of mindset, that breadth of expertise. You can be a phenomenally good employee. My team are incredible. It's it's a privilege working with them. But we do occasionally uh, get in danger of believing our own guff, right? So bringing in that sort of fresh perspective all the time that's experienced, um, it, it just, it, it makes a much more powerful proposition in, in my point of view. I don't know whether I've answered your question. Well, no, you have. You've answered that question <laughs> and more, which is great. And I love the idea that, um, so the idea of um, the fact that people challenge the brief, I think that from an from my perspective, which is clearly very different to each of yours, that ability for freelancers to come in from the experience of the clients they've worked with before to do just that is is one of the things that stands out, as I say, for, from my point of view. Um, same question to you, Alex. So, of course, for you, Alex, there's a number of businesses, everything from Cambridge Social Media Day to Snuggery, Silvertone, and so much more. So, again, how if you look at those journeys, however short or long each one is, to, to where you are now, how important has the freelance community been for you? Yeah, I think yeah, just echoing what, what Merle was saying there around the the front end aspect, the strategic uh, part, especially if you are a, a solo founder, you need to get other people's opinions involved that are diverse and have got much better exposure than you to different markets and different projects that they've run. It's um, it, it's it's an easier conversation because if you if you want to hire and we we employ the best part of sixty people across businesses now, like in in our businesses, and we're probably sitting about. You know, 25% of, uh, on top of that, uh, are, are freelancers that support those roles. But it's one of the, it's been early days, <clears throat> sorry, early days for me, it was fundamental. So my, I have a, a, an EA now, um, and she's phenomenal, uh, Anastasia. She's literally like, I couldn't live without her. But before before her, I couldn't afford to have her. I always, I always needed someone. I can't really write or, or do anything useful with a computer. I'm just I'm a I'm a people person. I'm out there championing our, our businesses. So I couldn't afford an EA to start with. So we started with a VA, and I built a wonderful relationship with a, a lady called um, Nina, um, who's a freelancer. And um, but we had a conversation right at the front end that said, "Look, I need you to help me build the processes, help me build the systems to manage my life, um, and that way eventually someone is going to take this on." but you're always going to be there to support that person. And I think that's quite a power that the freelancers can have in, in any role is that you can help that business owner or entrepreneur or, or, or whatever the project is, help them build out the systems and processes and the strategy to enable them to then employ someone in that role, knowing that any issues, that person could come straight back in and, and support that function. So that's been quite fundamental 
um, to us uh, in the building processes. But I think it is really just, you know, getting the, the blend of micro niches that the freelance community um, provide. Like you say, like, I, I want to I resolve this exact problem. You're going to find someone who's resolved that exact problem. Whereas if I put that out to a, a, a recruitment consultant or someone who goes, goes to put a job description out, it's very difficult to do that. So I do think more broadly, actually, um, a conversation needs to be had um, around employment as well as freelancing around actually how we identify who we need by problems that they've solved before and projects they've, they've got involved in before. And there's actually a really interesting piece of work that we're involved um, in called the region of learning that's kind of doing something similar. And you're seeing, seeing this a lot if anyone's a bit of a crypto nut like me, you're seeing some of this being done uh, in the crypto world where um, they're tracking the problems they've solved and the projects they've worked on in quite decent detail so, so you can actually search for it. So um, I want to see more of that, you know, more showcasing and um, um, an experience-led recruitment for freelancing rather than I'm looking for a graphic designer. No, I'm, I'm actually looking for um, someone who can create me this timeless piece of art that's going to travel across these markets in these countries and 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 it's that level of description which I think serves well to the freelance community because the the, the better they can niche the more the more money they can earn the the more you know um, the 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 more fulfilling uh, the work will be because it's matched against personality and the project it needs um, rather than when I first got into business it was like well I just need a videographer you know I need to just just do me some video stuff and let's do let's do this and then you realize very quickly actually you don't need a videographer you need someone who specializes in making documentary style films that can send this message to this market and and this person has done that before and this is how and they've showcased it before so i think i don't know if that answers your question well no it does it also answers the next one so thank you for that uh, which is um, which is actually about so many the, the debate often goes on about whether we should um, niche our skills or broaden our skills to be arguably more attractive in that sense so as you know arguably our future employers if you like are those who are giving us the work the businesses that we as freelancers really want to roll our sleeves up and immerse ourselves with and i'm going to open this out although alex you've partly answered this already but i'm sure there's more what do you look for do you look for someone who has a specific skill do you look for someone who could deliver a skill and offer a broader solution or do you look for something else who would like to pick that one up i can oh go on alex you go, go on alex you first and then i'll come to sam right, you go right. first i can i can follow up Okay, right, cool. I, <laughs> I, I think a per, the personality thing is really important and depends on, so talking as uh, someone who represents um, quite a lot of startups and micro businesses, depends on that person's experience in working with freelancers before. So getting those expectations set at the front end, um, because I'm anyone who's worked with me, um, I'm a very unique person to work with. You'll either love me or hate me, and I'm quite happy with that. But I'm very clear on how I work and this is how I do things and this is my ecosystem. This is how we operate here. Um, and I think it's actually up to me to do that, not up to the freelancer to extract that from me. It, there is a responsibility on both sides, I think. But I, those getting those ex expectations right at the front end and understanding how we can work together in the best possible way 
for the benefit of the project that we're working on is the most important thing for any collaboration, whether it be freelance to business or business to business. Um, I think that's that, that, that for me needs to be number one. And then secondary to that is, okay, actually do you have the skills that we need? So personality first and uh, relationship first, and then um, again, moving into the job roles itself. But again, I don't, I don't think the economy is actually set up for that. It's actually, it's a real challenge. It's a real challenge and it only really comes through um, trying things and testing collaborations to see what works. And then you're at a danger of getting too comfortable with one person and actually you want to, you then stop diversifying in terms of who you bring into it. So it's a constant cat and mouse, but yes, yeah, so relationship first, can we work together? Secondary, can you resolve my problem? Brilliant, thank you, Sam, follow up then. Yeah, so I was going to say, um, I think like I, I, I'm not going to pretend to know as much as the audience about finding work as a freelancer because I haven't looked for work as a freelancer for years because uh, I've been working in a business. But um, I think there's there's a couple of interesting kind of data points that I've got uh, that that I'll share. That um, and and I think it's always tempting to like want to do more than is actually humanly possible and if you can narrow the focus down and I do this as a business as well narrow the focus down to like one channel or one start one communication point or whatever and that really like frees up so uh so so I don't want to like send a kind of uh a kind of um message that do more is is a good thing to do but I think there's a few um there's a few things there's a few decision points that help us to make a decision or a call on what freelancer we're going to use. And I think I'd probably break those down into two things. And one of them is if there's a special project where we're looking to do something uh, on a specific platform or with a certain thing, that's a really good indicator of who we're going to work with. And let me give you an example. So the let's let's take Webflow, right? We decided through a procurement process that we were going to rebuild our website. You can go and take a look at it. It's getcoconut.com in Webflow. It looks amazing. It's a really good platform. It's kind of the new sort of web platform that puts the website in the hands of the marketeers and not the engineers. And that's why we went with it. But then we wanted to go out and find someone who was specialist in Webflow, right? And so we actually found a load of people who'd sort of tapped into the fact that Webflow is a really big movement. Um, and, and so uh, they were specialist Webflow developers. And actually the guy that we worked, ended up working with is actually a designer and an engineer and all of these things, but he just said, I'm a Webflow expert. And so we were just drawn to him, right? And actually he does so much more for us. He does design, on website stuff, but also other stuff. He's uh, built the whole website in Webflow. He can do other things as well. And so that's a good way to kind of signal, uh, a, you know, what you are and who you are. If you attach yourself to something that people are gonna be looking for like that, whether that's like Webflow or like React Native, if you're an engineer or, or something like that, rather than trying to sort of more broadly categorize yourself as a designer or an, an engineer i think that's really helpful and then the second type of uh uh freelance we work with is ones that we have a historical re relationship with 
And it may be that we know them for a specific thing, or it may be that they've just maintained their relationship. So I like uh, the, the example of a, a VA. Immediately, the other day, I was like, I think we should get a VA for the leadership team. And I immediately went to the person who interacts with me a lot. And we've used her in the past, but she's maintained that relationship. And so I literally just emailed and I was like, should we chat? And so those are the two ways, I think. If you can be really targeted about uh, like what you work on to the exclusion of all else, that's powerful. And if you have a relationship, just staying on top of like emailing regularly, even if you don't get a response, right? It's, it's still staying front of mind. Well, there's an element of that that I just want to pick up before I go to Merle, because you said that when you, you go back to freelancers that you work with, but you talk about, um, but I want to ask about the skills that you don't necessarily know you have. So if you've, if there's, a, you know, obviously related to Webflow, you know where to go and you've got your VA and the other of the 20%. But if you're looking for a particular skill that at yet you don't have and you're looking for a freelancer to solve that challenge for you, where's your first port of call? Now, of course, that might be an easy one for you, Sam, because you've also got a community of freelancers who help build the platform, the crowdfunding. But there may be something else within that too, perhaps. Yep. So our network of customers is a good source of, of, of people. Um, we go, we use LinkedIn a lot. We use our networks a lot. Uh, and so often we'll ask on various Slack groups, WhatsApp groups that we're in as a first port of call. And we'll be clear, and I think we're getting more and more comfortable with this, that we want a freelancer for a specific role. And I think businesses are getting more and more comfortable with this now, particularly now we're like a lot more remote, uh, which is really cool. And it's a massive opportunity for, for freelancers to make the most of. Um, and so, yeah, those are, the, those are the channels that we look at. We've For certain types of roles, we'll also use uh, platforms like Upwork, um, and uh, you know Juno and those kind of platforms um, if we're struggling to find people within our network. Okay, wonderful. Thank you very much. Merle, um, so same question to you then really about, uh, well, over to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just on platforms, we like talent.io as well. We've had some phenomenal people through, through talent.io um, who have been freelancing um, sometimes that's for contract work. Sometimes that's for employed work too. Um, I think very much as, as, as Alex and Sam have said, we look for, for the same things. Um, we like Sam go out to our community. So for me, it's a lot about saying thank you and giving back. If, if we have an opportunity available, I always like to, to go through our sort of our live chat, our intercom, our email, uh, and our network to, to say to guys, look, we're looking before we go out and put something out on a platform or uh, in social media, if you're interested, please shout because I think that's about giving back in gratitude for those who, you know, support our business too. So that's really important for us. Um, I think when it comes to who we choose, aside from, you know, invariably bending your ear about, Ed, do you know anyone good who? <laughs> so word of mouth still matters enormously, as does the network. We look for people who have empathy with uh, our customer base, with our mission, um, because I think anybody who believes passionately, as we do, in supporting small businesses brings a different ingredient to the job. 
Um, we do like to be challenged on briefs, uh, not in a, oh God, this is rubbish, because we try really hard not to make it rubbish. Most people tell us that our briefs aren't rubbish, but also that kind of what if, what if it looked different? Have you thought about, so I love conversations that take the vision further and make us think, well, yes, we've definitely got somebody who can do this, but ultimately they feel like one of us. Um, and maybe we're a bit different in that sense. I know people, you know, quite often hire freelancers because they just want something very specific in a particular box and, and that's what they're looking for. We kind of want that too, but I always like to know that we're working with somebody who has the empathy with the customer, gets the mission, um, and is going to be capable of having a conversation that, that kind of frames the boundaries of, of the brief if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, I suspect that, I mean, Alex mentioned before that personality first is quite critical for all of you, I would assume. So what's your recruitment process for freelancers? How do you know that skill set aside, you've got that personality fit? Um, I, I'll come to you first on that, Merle, and, and then I'll come to, to Sam next. Sure. Um, for us, it's about getting um, any any freelancer exposure to the team, so the people that they would be working with, um, getting a sense of the conversation, the interaction. We'll often set exercises, um, partly because sometimes we do work with people who are outside of the regular skill box. So they have an aspiration to do something and to do something with us, but their portfolio doesn't necessarily say, well, I've done this a million times before. And we don't always want someone who's done it a million times before. A few times helps, or at least something similar. So you get a sense of attitude, aptitude, ability to come and, and do the job in question. Um, but we like to set sort of broad exercises that we sort of collaborate on. It's not a case of shut yourself away and spend hours and hours and hours creating something only for us to reject it because that would be awful. And we try to be really respectful of people's time. Um, but coming in and using that sort of interview hiring process more as a kind of come and roll your sleeves up. Let's let's look at some stuff together. Let's see how it goes. Let's see whether you feel that you've got the chemistry with us because that for us is just as important as us feeling that we've got the chemistry uh, with you. But I think in a very quick and efficient way that is respectful of everybody's time, we can get a sense for is this person going to be right uh, for us or not. So um, exposure to the team, a little bit of kind of let's kind of try as far as we can to emulate what it would be like working together. And then I think it gives you a really clear sense of who's who's right for this particular role. And sometimes we've said to people, look, we don't think you're right for us right now or in this guise, but we've always kept those people on our radar because I think if you know that there is chemistry, um, then you're going to think of those people first and foremost. You're also going to recommend them. Um, I mean, our live chat, my DM feeds are full of people saying, who else do you recommend? Do you have someone like um, if it's somebody that we've subsequently hired? Um, mm. So we our, our CTO, for example, who is extraordinary, originally was was freelancing as a kind of CTO for hire. Um, and the number of times that, you know, we get sort of tech founders come at us and say, you know, do you know anyone like a Dan? And we do. So it's really nice to say, yeah, we do. We do, and and here are some names, and and you know, hope it works out for you. So I think, even if you don't get picked, knowing that you could be the person who's next recommended is extremely valuable, and it just it, it continues to build that network. Brilliant. Uh, same for for you, Sam. Again, you know, Coconut has a personality. You want the right freelancers to support that um, as they uh, help you build the business. So how do you know if you've got that personality fit right? Yeah, I I feel like um, 
there's a sort of danger i guess that we try and like squeeze ourselves into contort ourselves into shapes that we don't necessarily exist in and so i think i just want to draw a line between like personality as like a sort of you know gregarious like open friendly person and like integrity in terms of who you are and what you do and i we lean very much towards integrity right and okay you know if you've got a sales person they may be required to be a bit outgoing and and some you know have some character traits that are like uh that are sales oriented whereas if you're um somebody who's deeply focused on data you know you're going to be we're going to be looking for traits that are slightly different really inquisitive really challenging really like honest about what's real and what's not and those kind of things and so I think for me the thing that we look for is like uh the sort of integrity and honesty about who you are and what you bring not anything specific necessarily uh and and how that relates into why you're passionate and why you're really really good at what you do and where we see uh those sort of things marrying up and aligning is where actually we think people perform really well um and so that's that's kind of what we look for it's quite varied across the board i would also say that there's a there's a really um kind of nice thing about freelancing in a sense and and hiring freelancers and that is we do acknowledge that that the amount of time that it takes to find work is is a big time suck and so actually we sort of compress the we compress the interview process. We have a fairly rigorous process, but we compress it a lot uh, for um, sort of freelance uh, um, uh, freelance people because we can get to know each other quickly, right? And that's explicit in the process. So we get to know each other to start with. And if it's going to work well, it's going to work well. And if it's not, it's not. And so just try and keep get people on board as quickly as possible and get to know each other better. And I think that helps in terms of... Um, reducing the amount of time but also making sure you're bringing the right people and uh those people like you because i mean that, that does that help or hinder because it, you know it's much the same as merlion and as much as kind of integrate it into the team and understand kind of the team dynamics and the ethics with which we work with given the remoteness of the freelancers that we work with does that do you look for someone therefore that is more locally near to you or is there a way that you can still understand that because obviously you talked about anywhere in the world and we know that as the freelance community anyway but being able to truly integrate them into the team to understand that personality fit sam is that something that is truly helped by the remote working tools that we've got available to us it's absolutely huge uh i don't know that it's necessarily the tools but what i've seen over the course of the last year is the acceptance that we need to become good at connecting with people on zoom and that's the difference the processes around being able to build relationships maintain them ensure that people are communicating well all remotely as well have come on leaps and bounds And all of that really needed a bit of a nudge to happen because whilst we were kind of, we were talking the talk in terms of, oh, you know, global workforce and all that kind of thing, I don't think we'd really adopted that. And the fact is, I haven't seen my team face to face. I've I've not met probably 
30% of my team face to face, maybe more. And so I've got to find ways to stay connected with them, to build the relationship and to uh, work in an efficient way. And that's really what's what's transformed. Phenomenal. Brilliant. How that's we great... use the tools rather than what the tools are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, it's, in terms of, you know, that, that that part of the end there too, I think will will help reassure people as well as they look to work with businesses who are far further afield than they're based. Alex, you started this by saying that personality first. So how do you know that that fits for whichever business or project you're working on? I think it's just understand, taking the time to, so I built my entire career off getting to know other people and connecting other people with each other uh, and their own needs. So I think it is just a, it's a bit of a gut feel thing sometimes, you know, getting to know that person, bring them in, come meet the team. We, we don't have any job roles here. so. Even the internal team, we have we don't have any policies, sick policy, holiday policies. We just have one rule, and that's use your best judgment. It's a bit chaotic, but uh, we have um, activity pillars. So we just give transparency and visibility. Look, this is what we're doing. You know, he, these are the leads on each activity pillar of, of what's going on in the organization. You're here to talk about this bit. Here's the people that are involved in this element of what we're doing ask questions, have conversations, what challenges are we having, use that as an opportunity to look for other solutions that you can bring to the table. We're always open to anyone who comes into the organization. Even today, we've got a Kickstarter, a young Kickstarter starting, which is a um, come through this latest government scheme, essentially, where they're, they're deemed risk of long-term unemployment. But he's straight in, you know, here you go, look, this is everything. You're here to do this little bit, but have some visibility about what the people around you are doing so you can have some empathy towards what they're up to and how their decisions flow into what your workflow and your decisions flow into their workflows. And, and you know, what does that what does that look like? And if that's if that suddenly scares them away because they really need that structure and they want a job description and, a, and, and everything else, then you, you immediately know, well, look, it's you're probably not going to like me very much because this is the world of chaos over here. Um, so we're all kind of Swiss army knives. Um, so yeah, I think that it is just, it's just transparency for me. It's just transparency, Look, this is what we're up to. Does that get you excited? If it doesn't get you excited, then we're probably not the right fit for you. Um, and it's as simple as that. I often feel that I, I've no doubt that we're challenging the way many of those who are watching this are feeling about how they position themselves and get in front of businesses like yours. Liz Fisher asked a question because she's a bookkeeper and her portfolio requires a bit more creativity. So her question from your perspective is how does she communicate that experience and what happens if then she's got stuck doing certain things but not exactly what you want to do in the future. Liz, if you're watching, uh, which I hope you're, I'm sure you are, if you ask the question, feel free to unmute yourself just to, to add a bit more to that question if you wish. But how would you um, how would you answer that? Uh, who would like to? So her question is, how do you communicate that experience? And what happens if you got stuck doing certain things, but it's not exactly what you want to do in the future? Who would like to have a go at, uh, at answering that one, perhaps? I'm, I'm happy to take lead on that. I mean, this is something that in in my previous life. So I'm a lawyer, um, as well as someone who's been in business for many years, um, far too many years. Um, and I think this is, as professionals, we get stuck in this an awful lot. I mentor a couple of consultants, one in, in sort of data science, which I do not profess to understand, but it's, it's the same kind of issue that he's raised recently as well. Um, and I think sometimes we get very tunnel visioned in terms of 
what we can do and how good we are. And I think that's partly the professional training, right? We're measured um, on how good we are by how many times we've done the same thing over and over again. And I think that's true for finance. It's definitely true for law. It's definitely true for, for some of the other professions too. And I think it's just about stepping back, Liz, and thinking about that much more T-shaped skill set that, that we all have. We forget that we have because we're not using it every day and it's not necessarily what we put down on our CVs. I mean, anyone in bookkeeping and accountancy like law is incredibly good at project management, incredibly good at problem solving. Um, we don't just look at, you know, particular specific tasks. We're always looking at the domino effect, right? That knock-on impact, what's going to happen if this happens? What could happen if this happens? Where are the opportunities that fit around it? And I think for a lot of people hiring freelancers, that's the magic of what you bring. It's the domino mindset. It's that, well, you could go down this route and this is what would happen. But if you did it slightly differently and like this, and we could try this, this is where it would happen. So I think it's giving yourself permission to be more T-shaped, not to suddenly flood people because I've seen it go the wrong way um, with a very exuberant student of mine who went out and promised the world and actually undermined everything that she is really capable of. Um, but I think it really is about just sort of challenging yourself to, to have that confidence. You'd be surprised by just how many skills you actually do have that you don't typically list on an ordinary CV. Your, your communications, your strategic thinking, uh, the problem solving I've mentioned already, all of these are things that, you know, people like Sam and Alex and I really value um, because you're bringing something extra to the party. Alex? Just um, on, on that as well, to extend, so from uh, when you're, when, when I'm researching or looking into someone I want to work with, I usually identify them. Uh, so the latest person that we took on as a freelancer about, or that I personally took on, was someone to look at my LinkedIn about six to nine months ago. Um, and I, I, I stalked them. <laughs> I just went and watched, are they, are they saying what they said to me? Are they actually putting content into the world? Are they engaging in a way that they've displayed themselves to me in the first place? And are they living and breathing uh, what they say? So I think one thing to be sure of, whether you're, whether you're going for employment or a freelancing role, I'm going to look at your social media. I'm going to look at everything because that's what we do. We, as employers, we, we want to know, are you living and breathing what you say? You're, if you're that passionate about it, then, then you'd be doing it. So don't come and say, you know, you know, if you're going for a tech role or or, or a tech project or something, and you you never once even got involved in a conversation on social media around that thing, then then you might want to consider that whilst you're looking at it. So there's a, there's a there's a tactic. I don't know whether it's a good tactic or not. But it's a tactic. Um, I know someone who uses this to their advantage. So they will use their business development efforts towards a sector. And then they will actually plan their content three months in advance to all be around that sector. That way, when they go and reach out to your Sams and your Merleys who are looking for these these wonderful people to come and do the roles, they look at the social media and go, oh, wow, yeah, these, uh, they've attended this and they're doing this and they're talking about that. It's a bit naughty, but if you know what you're talking about, then and you're not, at the end of the day, like uh, Merle said, I love that approach of roll up your sleeves, let's get stuck in, we're going to have some fun. We're gonna have a conversation in a month in or three months in, regardless. You know, let's just let's just crack on and, and let's see what works out because you're gonna get found out one way or the other. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I set a lot more store actually by LinkedIn 
um, Twitter, if you're on Twitter, that's just because I live on Twitter. So that's where a lot of my conversation happens. But LinkedIn, particularly from a, a kind of a professional hiring point of view, absolutely. And, and I love it when people are publishing on stuff that is relevant because you already feel like you know this person. You already feel like you've got this deeper connection and they have common interests, common values in place. Also, what a LinkedIn CV can do for you, which no, you know, portfolio written piece of paper can do for you is it gives you what everyone else is saying about you. Um, so I do go to the bottom of the LinkedIn profile and look at testimonials and recommendations. I always take them with a pinch of salt, of course. But if it's people who I know or who are in my network who are also pitching in and endorsing, then that to me is is reassuring. It wouldn't clinch it necessarily, but it's certainly reassuring. So, you know, anyone who doesn't invest in their LinkedIn profile um, for me is automatically a question mark because I'm, I, I know you less, there's, there's less validation that I can do. You, you appear to be less within the community and the network that I trust. Which is obviously a challenge from a social media perspective, because, you know, we need to get that personality across that's so important to each of you too. Uh, I'll come to, to Sam in a moment, but Alex, you just wanted to add something there. Well, I wanted to ask Merle and Sam a question because, um, Go for it. And they might be honest or not, up to you, but uh, how important is the CV now to you, if at all? What role does it play in your thought process? Sam, Sam. do you want to take that first? (laughs) (laughs) Go on, Sam. I've got a slightly long answer that sort of incorporates some of the stuff that um, Alex and Merle were saying before. And I think to both their points, that's kind of what I'm saying about integrity, right? If you're like... uh, if you are passionate about the thing you say you're passionate about and everything that you do reflects that it comes across very well um and and that's that's i think uh important but it doesn't for me necessarily mean that you need to be on social media in fact we hire people who don't have a linkedin profile who don't have social media profiles and and that's because they're in an industry that that actually it's kind of a badge of honor that they don't, right? If you're in, you know, developer ops or like deep mm-hmm. in the data, you probably know stuff that I don't know that means that you don't want to be on social media. I don't know, right? And so we find different ways of like connecting with them. And actually it's not true to say that everyone should have this or everyone should have that. But it is true to say that as humans, I think we have like FOMO. I think FOMO is a big drive for us or like jealousy. And so you might look at someone who's really good at social, like the guy that Alex mentioned, who like actually is good at like going out and blogging and stuff like that. And that's because that person has that skill, right? And they execute it really well. And what I think we downplay ourselves as human beings is our skills because they feel really easy, right? And so we think that we're not skilled because we're like, oh, everyone must be able to do that thing that I can do really easily. And so... I think it's really important to try and root out that thing that everyone thinks that you can you find really easy and they find really difficult and then sit within that. And if it's, you know, researching industries and going out and kind of blogging about it and kind of doing that, that's cool. If it's going deep into like crypto and, and you know, those kind of things, then that's cool, too. If it's like removing yourself from the grid, then that's cool, too. <laughs> just align it with what you're passionate about, what your skills are and feel confident in that. And don't try and kind of squeeze yourself into a, 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 a box that isn't yours. 
I love that. Look at look at Helen's with the Jomo. Way of missing out. It's Joy of missing out. I love it. Whenever <laughs> it is. And just to answer the CV question. Oh yes. I'm not um, massive on. I, I'm not a massive uh, CV interrogator, um, and also I don't have like uh, sort of benchmarks that I judge people against, like must have a degree or must have a whatever. I think the whole picture is more important, and I think the character traits around, you know, challenging honesty, uh, like. Uh, um and kind of integrity are, are probably probably what i look at more that's not to say other people in my team don't uh that's just personally what i do what about the cv for you Ali? uh it's funny i've literally just filmed i'm hoping it will be released next month on the platform but i've just filmed with a, a phenomenal freelance career coach um what you should put on your cv and what we should all be looking at she's completely re-educated me so my answer probably three weeks ago would have been quite different to to now um but i think one thing is really true i find cvs exhausting um and that's because they don't really tell you an awful lot uh, and actually one of the things i've loved about shooting with faye recently is if everybody followed faye's format for great cvs my experience would be very different i think because you'd actually get to the nub of what you really want to know uh, so look out for that, folks. Ed, I'll let you know when she's released it because you can get on and, and and see a lot of that content for free on the YouTube as well. Um, it's just a fragment of a story. And I think, again, being connected, as I said, if you're part of the community um, and I recognize you as, as as one of our kind of Frilioites um, and I can say, oh, you know, what do you know about so-and-so to somebody else? That, for me, often speaks more volumes than a, a CV. But if it's a cold CV coming across my desk for the first time then i'm quite impatient with cvs so i won't read everything i'll read the first bit of the cv and try and get a sense of it you know do you have do you have relevant experience if you worked for somebody have you done something that calls to me that calls out to me about the role that we're hiring for um and that's probably enough for me to say this person looks interesting this person doesn't look interesting um it probably comes as a vast relief to everybody to know that I'm not the person in charge of hiring within the business. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure if I spoke to most of my team members who do do that uh, today, they would say exactly the same thing. You've got to stand out. Um, we had a really long chat the other day about cover letters. Does anyone read cover letters anymore? Uh, and I think the reality there is less and less. Um, it's got to be short, snappy. A lot of stuff comes over email now. So it's a sort of, this is why I think I'm right for you uh, approach works for us much more than, again, lots of lists is, and, and, and lots of detail. But as I say, it's, it's hard to stand out. And I think it's, it's when you produce a CV, and this is, this is longstanding advice that, you know, I've had given to me over the years and I've heard it repeated many times and I think it's still very true. Make sure you're not sending out this sort of bog standard CV that could be applicable to anybody. You know, you've really got within that top section of any CV to show why you are relevant. Um, it's got to be concise. It's got to be strong. Um, and I think it's got to get across that sort of it needs to be me um, element to it as far as possible. So talk about outcomes. What have you you achieved? Don't talk about all the things that you, you've done or you can do. Talk about what you do that achieves results. 
um, for the people that you work with, because that to me speaks much like I'm very outcomes based. I want to envisage a future and I want to see how you fit into that future. And if it looks like you fit into that future, you've got my attention. And I'm really excited by that because you get results. Um, and the freelancers that we've chosen to work with over the years are results people. Um, so they don't give us lots of lists. They really focus on what is it that we want to achieve. And then they show that they're on the journey with us. And I think, you know, it'd be interesting to go back and ask this question to some of the folks who we started freelancing with and who um, ultimately stopped freelancing to join us. Um, and there were three people on our um, team who've been with me now quite a few years who chose to do that. I was horrified because these guys had vast experience. They loved their businesses, um, but they fell in love with the mission. And uh, in both cases, the two sort of more or less original founders um, of certain elements of what we did, their view was that I don't want anyone else doing this. I've now, I now feel so strongly I don't want anyone else doing it. And while that's not a criteria that we look for in our freelancers, we're looking for people with that sense of we're going to get the outcome and I'm really going to throw myself at it. Um, so I hope that helps. No, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> and I want to look to the, the future, if you like. So what we've understood is that um, Murdy and Alex look at LinkedIn. Sam doesn't. So we know that there's going to be many other businesses that do the same. So I'm a freelancer like everyone else in this room who's looking to work with businesses like yours, exciting businesses, driven businesses, early stage businesses in some some regards. Um, and, and I want to get in front of, I mean, you and others like you. So what do I need to do, Sam? Yeah, just to say, I do look at LinkedIn. Sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. I just don't, uh, it, it's just not like, if someone's not on LinkedIn, it's not like a deal breaker. Yeah, then. fair enough. So, uh, and I do look at CVs as well, but it's not like, I will, uh, I will, I think where um, what Merle was saying is exactly right. It's like, if I look at a list, a, a short list of achievements over a massively long CV, it will give me enough of an indicator to have the first conversation. Yeah. And the first conversation is key. If I have a, a kind of list of just like waffle for two pages, then, you know, but it's part of the mix of things that we'll, we'll use to um, make a decision. And so, you know, in a lot of cases, it's very, very important to keep all of your kind of public profiles up to date, particularly on certain types of roles, right? If you're in, going for a marketing and social media role, then social media is going to be critical. Um, I think the question was like, how do you sort of find us, I guess? The, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how, I, I guess you can only go on your experience, but how would I how would I find you? What's yeah. the best way to st kind of start that and others like you? So I think the most compelling thing is if there's a sort of relationship there or some kind of fragment of information that is useful. So, you know, maybe it's um, I've noticed that you're doing this and actually I just wanted to share that this is what I've done for another business, you're probably finding this hard because these are the people on your marketing team and there's no one with this expertise. Let me know if you want to chat and we can we, we can see, you know, whether I can help you out with that. That's the kind of thing, because it connects for me in terms of, 
ah, oh, this person understands that I'm going to have this problem because they've experienced it and they have a solution for me because they've done that before. That's a really nice way of going in. And then the other way is just keeping an eye on our jobs page because that's where we we promote our jobs. But they also get promoted through LinkedIn and things like that. So finding the types of companies you want to work for and following them on LinkedIn so that the jobs get promoted is another good good way in. Um, Alex, what about you? What um, what do I need to do as a freelancer to um, to get in front of you or the decision makers within your team? Yeah, you, you need to disrupt me in my flow because I'm a uh, you know if I'm a busy business owner and, and I'm, a, I'm wearing 18 different hats like the rest of us, then it, you need to disrupt my flow and 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 create opportunity for us to have a discussion. So it's all good being ready and being the right person, but actually I think there's not enough emphasis. In, so we've talked a lot about recruiting a freelancer, finding a freelancer, and I'm glad you finished on this question because actually, what are you doing to go and seek problems and solve them for your target market and, and getting in front of them and being creative to do so? I think there's two parts. I think I've just picked up a, a comment in here um, around, you know, depends what the work is. If it's like a tar- if it's like a week's worth of the work sort of thing, as, as someone's just kind of alluded to there it's my responsibility to package that task up to get it ready to be done you know and i think that's where some future technologies might hopefully resolve that but the but the, actually if you want to disrupt in fact i would say 70 percent, 70 percent, i'd say of people that work in this organization or work with our organization weren't they weren't we didn't look for them they came and pitched me they, they actually turned up and i was like oh i don't know and then they, they come up with these wonderful ideas. I was like, I've just got to have it. I don't even need it anymore, but I didn't, I'm not even sure I needed this thing. But now but I need to have you and I love your ideas. I love that you've spent the time thinking about me and my problems and I'm ready and, and then I'll give you the opportunity. So I think more emphasis, more energy towards living and breathing your client or your potential client's needs and problems will resolve most problems when it comes to business development for any sector. Brilliant. Thank you. Murdy, same question to you then. What um, I, I want to get in front of you or the relevant decision maker in for video or other businesses like you. So what do I need to do? Join the conversation. Um, we are an incredibly chatty brand um, and we love engagement. We love conversation. So find us on LinkedIn, find us on Twitter. Um, if the product is right for you, um, come and be part of the product community as well, like become a Frilio customer. I think any which way you don't obviously have to buy it. Uh, we're on LinkedIn and Twitter for free, but, but be part of the community, be part of the engagement because it makes you stand out. And as I say, I would always rather take somebody who the team are aware of. We know because you're part of the conversation, you have views. You don't have to be posting. I mean, one of the, co- the, the comments here about, you know, putting out content that represents you accurately. The magic of social media is that you don't have to be, you know, agonizing over creating content and writing blogs and publishing it, that's really time consuming. And if it's not what you do or what you need to do for your job, then, you know, I don't think one of us here is, any of us here is suggesting that you go do that, but you can easily comment and be part of the community and start getting engaged. That's a a, a relatively fast and efficient thing to do. But, you know, for for me, I would always take from your community, Ed, from our community, from from known people who, who care and are relevant to us, then it would pitch out cold, and that's always the case. Uh, Lulu asks, "What's the worst thing you could do? What the, what's the thing that would uh, turn you off, Nelly?" 
I hate being spammed. <laughs> you don't email me with round robin kind of, you know, hi, I thought we should just be connected or LinkedIn connections. I love being connected with people on LinkedIn, but please show why we have something in common and, and what that conversation is going to be like. Just like, I, I, I cannot tell you how many sort of LinkedIn requests I get, which are either anonymous completely, so there's no message at all, or you know, I, I thought you might benefit from being part of my network. Oh. And I'm like, okay, why? <laughs> um, so yeah, don't do that. But but do get involved with the conversation, share. It's all for me about knowledge. Knowledge is power, but only when we share it. So okay. I love conversation. I love connection. That's the way to get my attention and my team's attention. Avoid the unsolicited DM. Oh. Sam, what about for you? What's the turn off? um it's not really a turn off i just sort of ignore it but yeah i, I ignore things that uh, say uh like can i have five minutes to chat uh just for no reason that's that sort of doesn't really acknowledge that if i did that with every message i received i'd have a really full diary um so i think that that really depersonalized emails aren't going to get traction with me personally Whereas if it was somebody who came to me and had said, uh, look, you know, here's a couple of, you know, mocked up Twitter posts that I've done for you. I do social media just so that you know about my work type thing as like a soft intro, not really expecting much from me. Then that to me is a, a nice way of, of, of approaching me because it sort of cuts through puts a bit of thought in it's probably lower volume on the whole in terms of reaching out but it feels a lot more thought through and I actually really like Alex is uh, the person you're talking about actually just like specializing in one area like fintech and really understanding that or, and like understanding what what the needs are and things like that and so that that's what gets cut through just to sort of flip it on his head as like a positive thing but yeah mass spamming just it just doesn't even I just don't even read it no makes sense uh, Alex what's the turn off for you yeah, laziness in, in not, not doing enough research and being cold, as you say. There's actually a great example, a guy who, and usually these cold requests on LinkedIn and stuff, I know it's heavy on LinkedIn, but because the only platform that anyone's taught me on. Um, but the, he sent me this wonderful video, it was about 45 seconds long, of him on my profile, kind of like, oh, I'm really interested in your experience when you started this business. I'm really, you said this. and. And it was really personalized and he just said i'd just love 10 minutes of your time to explain what i would do differently and i, I just felt obliged to give him 10 minutes of my time because he put the effort in and, and did something special for me with just a voice note or just something a bit more creative than this cold approach and don't get me wrong don't get me wrong i've started businesses on pennies and i was the one you know, go, making sure I was knocking on doors when it was raining because they'd let me in the door because they feel sorry for me. You know, I, 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 I know that there's always, you know, there's a there's a one in 1,000 conversion tactic and there's a one in 10 conversion tactic. And depending on your energy towards those things will, will depend on what you get. But like, if you've got the time, like know the value of me, my, my, my uh, me as a client, and if you, if you say, right, well, I can get him for a video, but actually, you know, it could be three years worth of work through through me, well, spend the time getting to know me and, and actually develop a relationship with me because it'll be worth it. Don't be lazy. That's basically it. Yeah. yeah and I think if you get a no, if you get a no or you get a polite pushback, I try to acknowledge everything that I get because I am mindful of the effort that it does take. 
for people to personalize things more. But don't see a no as the end of the story. Come back and say, well, if not for you right now, is there anyone else that you might be able to introduce me to? I think a lot of people miss the opportunity. I'm constantly doing that myself and saying it's not for me, but hang on a minute, let me have a think. Um, and I think, again, it's about that engagement. If you're having that conversation and you're still exchanging the emails or the DMs, however that's happening, then you're still front of mind and there's still a possibility that, you, you know, you're empowering me to recommend you to somebody else or at least get somebody else to take a look at you. So I think that gets forgotten sometimes and people don't want to personalize because they see it as that one off kind of, oh, I've got to do lots of it. It's exhausting. It's a time drain. And then if I get a no, it's the end of the story. Uh, brilliant tips here and I know we've reached the end of the time and I hope you forgive me if I just answer one question ask one more question because we've uh, stretched out in in different tangents as well which has been brilliant but one of the challenges that comes up within the community more often than not sadly is the issue of late payment and I think partly big partly potentially we don't do ourselves any favors by not having the right conversation early enough so I want the answer this from your and by the way I'm obviously not putting any of you into that uh, pigeonhole but um, from your perspective when it comes to the terms and conditions and the payment terms specifically with your relationship with a freelancer what do you expect what would what do you like to see from freelancers about the conversation of how and when they're going to get paid um, Alex, I'll come to you first, if I may. Yeah, just just honesty and, and empathy as well. It depends on the size of the operation you're working with. If you're working with a, a, a freelancer or a kind of a really small team, then the chances are you send an invoice, you'll probably get paid in that same week or that same day or something. But if you've got a slightly larger organization, so if you're in this, the worst part of any growth of business is from 10 to 40 employees. I'll tell you now, 0 to 9 is beautiful. After 40 is amazing, but not to the 10 to 40 is a nightmare. And you're trying to integrate an accounts team and you're trying to, you know, you've got set days for when you do payments and stuff like that. I think you just got to be honest and, and, and make sure you're asking the right questions. Right. When do you usually pay your invoices? How can I integrate into your systems? How can I integrate into your world? Because, you know, I've, you know on any given month, if, if a thought about across my businesses, there may be a thousand transactions that take place across our bank accounts. You know, you're one one payment, and not to say that it's not important. You are, but you need to make that clear right at the front end. Look, if you if you need to be paid within seven days or whatever your terms are, you need to make that very clear at the front end. This, I, I actually think that's more the freelancer's responsibility. Mm, than no, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think it's more about you providing yourself on a five or six page questionnaire that just allows you to pry that out of the business owner and, and make sure that you're connecting regularly with someone in accounts, not the business owner, because the business owner is busy, 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 busy. They, they'll have someone dedicated to that role. Make sure you build a relationship with the accounts team, not the business owner, because otherwise what will happen is a business owner goes to the accountant and says, yeah, look, make friends with the accounts, look. The business owner goes to the accountant and say, "Hey, can you pay this guy? Or, or he's, you know, he's messaging me. You haven't paid him. Well, you've just got their backup, and you've just you've you've got their backup with the accounts person, and you've got you've undermined them and gone round them. So it's really important you build a relationship with. Well, this is the same same for anything in business. Whoever's got the money, build a relationship with that person because they're the only they're the only person that really matters at the front and back end." which is what Liz Fisher says in the comments. Sam, what about you? If someone works with you, when do you want them to bring up the conversation and how about payment terms? 
Yeah, so I have to apologise. I once had an email from a freelancer and it was like, you invoice today? And I was like, and running a business that helps freelancers like, uh, like stay on top of payments. I was like, how has this even happened? Like, I don't even know. So I dived into it. And actually, yeah, like stuff happens, like stuff goes missing, payments get missed. And like, it literally was one of the worst days ever for me. So now we just pay freelancers quickly in a week. Well, like just as a matter of course and I stay on top of that as much as I can but just a, a lot of the time I think people are nervous about chasing payment if you've got someone like the accounts person that you can just go to and say ask up front like who's going to be responsible for making yeah. the payment so that you've got that relationship the emotions taken out of it, it's fine also asking up front and making clear like I need to be paid on, on this timeline that's a really good way of just setting a good uh, like rigorous process and relationship in place don't feel nervous about doing that I'm all I'm also all up for things like uh, getting 50% of payment up front and stuff like that I think that really helps um, to just get yourself in the system get everything set up properly one payment's already been made so it's easy to make another one uh, you know how it is trying to set up pays on like old banks and so um, so yeah I think it's uh, have that conversation up front I really like that idea brilliant and lastly with you Melly yeah I echo everything that Alex and Sam have said particularly about making friends with accounts it's a really easy thing to do who do I send the invoice to um because uh that's like you know can you give me the email address now um what I always do is cc anyone in once we've concluded an arrangement with somebody so that you've got that name you've got that contact point already uh on on the email that definitely helps um, I think just be really mindful of terms and conditions as well, because you can set your terms, but if you're signing somebody else's contract, make sure you go and look at what the payment terms are before you sign them and raise the question. Because if there's, you know, if they're saying payment in 30 or 60 days, but you've agreed with the business owner that it'll be payment in seven days, you're going to have a conflict because accounts are going to be processing it differently. Um, and I think I, I, lo I love that make friends with accounts because the more personal the relationship is, and we are all humans, ultimately, the harder it is for somebody to allow your invoice to go astray uh, or to think, oh, it can wait. Um, so I think, you know, playing on that personal connection, playing on the guilt factor as well, uh, sometimes can be far more effective. But do it up front. Don't don't assume uh, and don't leave it to chance either, because, you know, many, many businesses work in different ways. You need to know who that person is. Who do you send your invoice to um, and maintain that relationship as well? What were you gonna make it out? personal. One of the best things. Sorry, Ed, make it personal. One of the best things that a couple of the uh, people we work with do is they send a personal message with every invoice. It's very cool. One of them always talks about the pride, the joy, the success, the results um, that they've achieved with us and for us. It's very personal. It's a celebratory thing. So they're sending me an invoice, but hey, I feel good about it. Uh, someone else does it with humor. It's a particular personality trait that he has, but it's brilliant. He makes me laugh every time he sends me an invoice. I make sure those invoices get paid, even though I am no longer responsible for processing them. Making it personal so that it's not this kind of automated thing that just comes out of your zero account or whatever it might be, or your coconut account, um, really helps oil the wheels. Brilliant. I love what Sam's comment in the, the box, which says, uh, it makes you look confident and professional and it sets the relationship up on the right turn, which is is clearly coming through from you all. Uh, Alex, uh, you wanted to add something there. Yeah, so um, the on the, the Merley, I don't know if you've read it, J James Watts' um, uh, Business for Punks. 
Uh, they used to put on their invoices, uh, please pay this on time, I need to feed my dogs. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's a great one. Um, but I just uh, saw the, the message. I think it's really unfair that we have to make these decisions, actually, as a system. Uh, I don't think, I saw that the, someone commented about Germany. Um, you know, there should be, you know, if you're under 2 million turnover, everything should be immediate payment for them. Because it's not just freelancers. I'm saying as a small business owner, that owns, for instance, a commercial cleaning company, we had every wedding venue on the day of the pandemic ring us up and just say, hey, just let you know, we're not paying you. And no, 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 don't worry about it, it's coming. No, we're not paying you, deal with it. It's just how it is. And so you've got to have empathy for the supply chain of where you're involved and understanding for where you are in the process that they may not actually have, be able to do anything about it. It's out of their control and I do think I know there's some big um, there's some big advocates out there for this sort of thing. I do think you know as a as a freelance community and then the communities that we clearly have in this room right now, I do think that they, that that would be a worthwhile campaign to look at over the next kind of five years to look at changing that because it's not fair that we as freelancers and small business owners have to have that conversation. It should be written into the the laws and the rules of of play. Um, and it's quite quite actually unfair that we have to have that conversation in the first place. But the advice given today should help you at least alleviate any challenges there. And the advice has been immense. You're absolutely right. Legislation supports Germany's decision there, which makes it so critical. Um, and uh, Sam adds there as well, what's more, if you, if you find someone is not open about the conversation, it may give you an indication that they are going to be banned at paying, which is an incredibly valid point. And thank you for your candidness there as well, Sam, <laughs> about previous conversations. Um, Alex, Murley, Sam, uh, I can't thank you enough. If I don't bring this conversation to an end now, we're going to keep going to a quarter past one. Um, and I know people will want to eat and chat as well. So uh, I really appreciate your insights. If you want to connect uh, with Alex Hughes, then uh, or Sam O'Connor or Murley Calvert, you can go on to... Uh, LinkedIn or Twitter if it's uh, Merly more. But um, what's the best website to come and find you on, Alex? Uh, www.shifties.co.uk. Sam? Getcoconut.com. Merly? Uh, Farrell, F-A-R-I-L-L dot I-O, Farilio. Insightful stuff there. Uh, an hour and 15-minute panel discussion that took about an hour and a half. Well, we're freelancers. We're nothing if not flexible. Uh, I'd really like to know from your perspective what you got out of that. And also, I'd love for you to share it, not just because obviously I want more listeners. That would be great. But actually, because I think there are two sides to this, one of which is that many businesses maybe don't realise how supportive and effective uh, working with freelancers can be to help them overcome both internal and client projects, but equally as well uh, for freelancers who are looking for something different from that confidence boost to just understanding how important their work is. So do please share it. And if you want to get in touch, then use the Freelance Heroes hashtag across social media or get in touch via email podcast at freelance-heroes.com. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Bye for now.